You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. What is consciousness? In this episode, Dr. Nader answers the question about what consciousness is and its role. We typically experience life from the surface level, but much like the vast expansive ocean, there's a deeper, more profound reality inside each of us. That is the reality of our mind, our intellect, our ego, our true self. Dr. Nader explains that everything we dream about, plan, and desire emanates from consciousness and is an expression of our consciousness. It's wonderful to be together. I want to start by highlighting something which is essential and which is important to realize, and that is consciousness. What is consciousness? It's one question that I was asked. I was touring some long time ago, 15, 20 years ago, and giving talks, and we were in the UK. They have consciousness-based education, and one of the students in the upper school asked me a simple question. What is consciousness? It's not an easy question to answer. You know. What is consciousness? It's a very big problem for modern science today to investigate what is this abstract thing which we call consciousness, awareness. We, every one of us knows that she or he is conscious, but one thing we don't know even is that even our neighbor is actually conscious. <laughs> Theoretically speaking, you know, we could be all zombies except for those who are looking at us. You know. Because you can behave exactly like, you know, you do normally, but are you conscious of everything the same way I am? How can you tell? How can you tell that your neighbor is conscious? They behave like this, they smile like this. You know, robots can be created that actually would respond to anything. You can pinch them, they say, ow, ouch. <laughs> you can, you know, say something like a joke and they can laugh. It's all programmed. They can make believe they sleep. When they're hungry, they go to the plug, they plug themselves to get some power. It's a very interesting phenomenon, this consciousness, because everything we know is physical, is material. And there is one thing we can't really grasp in modern science, and that is consciousness, awareness. The awareness of red, for example, is something. You can say, this is red. And a robot can say that too. It just analyzes the wavelengths of the color and it has a built-in pre-programmed system that makes it say this is red. But the human being is aware of the redness of the red, is sensitive to the redness of the red. One thing, for example, even scientists have difficulty with is pain. What is pain? You know, does a robot feel pain? Can a robot ever feel pain? 
There is something that some tissues are squeezed, some neurotransmitters are released, some electrical activity goes through certain nerves, you know, pain is transmitted through C fibers, for example, a specific type of fibers in the nervous system. And when there is activity in these fibers, it goes to the brain, and then you experience pain. But what is pain? What is pain? It's so subjective, it's so personal, it's so out of this world, yet we live in it, we experience it, we know it, we go through it, and we go through happiness, we go through love, we go through passion, we go through emotions, and science completely is unable to even put its finger either by near or by far on this phenomenon. So much so that science has never actually wanted to discuss consciousness because it was considered to be out of the realm of the physical. In the science of consciousness, there have been some who have coined a word that is an easy problem of consciousness and there is a difficult problem of consciousness. The easy problem of consciousness is that one day we will be able to discover what triggers in the nervous system the experience of pain, what triggers the experience of feelings, of love, of emotions, of expectations, of disappointment, of depression. And you can trace these uh, from the objective phenomenon that has happened and see how it goes through the nerves, gets into the brain, where exactly the transmitters go, which parts of the brain are activated, and you can tell that no, no, this is the experience of pain, this is the experience of a flower. And this is happening today, you know, there are today ways to analyze the brain activities in a very sophisticated way, and you can almost tell what the person is thinking. You know, you can look at the patterns that are happening in the brain, and you can say, she is thinking of playing tennis, he is thinking of playing golf, she is going to the supermarket, he is going to the jewelry store. And like that, even these little things, you can tell because there are patterns in the brain and places where things happen. Now, to figure out all of these things is very, very, very difficult, ultimately. It's extremely difficult. And yet, this is the easy problem in terms of consciousness. <laughs> the difficult problem is the problem of how does this translate into emotions, feelings that are subjectively experienced. I mean, emotions and feelings as far as neurotransmitters secreted in the gut and, you know, you have your stomach kind of cramp when you have pain or you have fear or anxiety manifests itself here and there. You can study all the biological changes that happen, but you cannot pinpoint how at the end of the day the individual experiences consciousness. So there have been, in the past 15 years, a lot of studies about consciousness and trying to understand consciousness. And very top minds are trying to associate consciousness with quantum mechanics, with, you know, tubules in the brain, with in the cells, with activities that are more on the quantum field levels, on different, different levels. But I can tell you the conclusion of all of these studies and many papers and millions and millions of dollars spent researching that field. And the conclusion is today, we have absolutely no idea. <laughs> we don't even have a glimpse of an idea. <laughs> 
we don't even have anything that comes close to an idea. So we come back to the question, what is actually consciousness? What is this thing, consciousness? Does it exist? Does consciousness exist? Some scientists have resolved the problem by saying, consciousness doesn't exist. <laughs> That's it, we solve it, you know. It's you are fooling yourselves, you know. But one asks the other question is, when consciousness goes, what remains? Did you ever ask yourself this question? When consciousness goes, what remains? Anyone can tell me what remains? Think about it. It's important to think about it for a minute. When you're not conscious, what is there in the universe for you? Nothing. Absolute nothingness. Nothing exists. When there is no consciousness, there is nothing. Only later when you wake up, you know, if you are sleeping or hit on the head by something, <laughs> and you suddenly wake up, you find the world is as it was before, and you say, well, the world must have been there when I was sleeping. And therefore you say, then it was always there. But when you didn't have consciousness, nothing was there. Absolutely nothing was there. So, you depend on your consciousness for appreciating anything. Because it's not like something is there, but something is not there, and I could have a glimpse of something. There is absolutely nothing. When there is no consciousness, there is nothing. Which means for us as human beings, what is the one thing we are absolutely 100% sure of that it exists? Death, we, we, it happens, but what happens with death, you know, we don't know. What happens with death, we know that at least that body is not conscious at that time. And we are observing, but from your perspective as an individual, what is the one thing you're sure of that there is discontinuation of the physical activity of the body at this time, which you are calling death? But what happens is there still something else after death? We don't know. So we are not sure what death is exactly, and we are not sure that death actually means something after the body stops functioning. It does mean that this particular body is gone, but is there something that continues after that? This is a big question. But irrespective of death, which is a good answer in, in, any, in one way, which means nothingness we are sure of, but what else that is not nothingness <laughs> we are sure of? We are sure that there are flowers on this chair. We are sure we are in the meeting. You know, what are you talking about? We're sure there is a building here. We're sure all of these are real. Okay, but how real they are? Now you look at the reality and you start asking, what is reality? What is real and what is not real? Is there anything now between you and me other than air and some air conditioning and some light? Is there anything? What? There is music. You can't hear it? <laughs> Take a radio, put it here, turn it to the right frequency. You can hear all kinds of music. You can hear all kinds of music, classical music, opera music. You can hear hip-hop or whatever you like. The music is there. There are people moving around here all the time. <laughs> 
You don't believe me? Turn the television. It picks up the signal with the antenna, and it can show you a football game, can show you a tennis game, can show you Saturday Night Live, can show you, you know, somebody tweeting, can show you somebody yelling, <laughs> somebody in love, somebody's in a crash accident. Millions of things you can see, they're all here. What is this reality? Is this your reality? No. Now, if I have a little doggy here and somebody was whistling at a certain frequency that we cannot hear, you can find the doggy jumping around because the dog have a much higher frequency sensitivity in their ears and they can pick up those frequencies. You have a bat, it picks up radar waves, it doesn't see like we see. So what is the reality for the dog? What is the reality for the bat? What is the reality for the jellyfish? Why should we assume that reality is as we see it? If you're a little bit colorblind or a lot colorblind, you can be the same person sitting here, you know, hiding. Uh, I don't see colors. I'm not going to raise my hand to say I don't see red or green. But there are some people I have met in medicals, they are completely normal, 100%. Everything is perfect, intelligence-wise, appreciation-wise, emotions-wise. But they just can't see red or green. Everything looks gray to them, absolutely gray. So are the trees actually gray or this person is deficient? Who is right? They are right or am I right? Maybe the bat is right, maybe the dog is right. Maybe the eagle who sees something from a very far distance that we cannot see, maybe they're right. Maybe if I take a machine that can detect the electromagnetic waves, it will tell me that this room is full of solid things. If my body, suppose our body was made out of, instead of eyes and ears, it's made out of some sensors that can detect gravitational field, the gravity we would be in solid, sitting in solid space here. We can't move because <laughs> gravity is everywhere and we will just see opaque. Everything will be opaque. So what does this tell us? Reality depends on our perception. Our vision of what reality is, is completely 100% based on the apparatus that we have and that shows us things in a special way. That special way is in no way an absolute way. It's in no way a universal way. Besides the fact that we all, you know, have different appreciation of things, different emotions, different feelings that makes us, you know, see somebody who comes and you say, oh, this is a very bad person. And then your friend said, no, 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 he's a fantastic person. He's absolutely great. Why do you say that? So the appreciation of ourselves, our each other, the appreciation even of the physical reality depends on our physical apparatus. Therefore, what is real and unreal is relative, this is why we use the term relative, to who we are, to our system, to our physiology. Okay, now we can improve our perception by transcending, <laughs> removing the stresses, because we also have clouded perceptions and we have clouded evaluations under different circumstances, and we can clear up our system and improve our perception. But this question, on the other hand, that I'm asking about reality, has been investigated by scientists. So scientists have had the same questions that we are asking now, 
and they try to find what is actually real, what is needed for things to be real. So they were going to say, what are things made of, after all? Okay, the flower is perceived like this colors based on the eye's ability to see certain frequencies. If we were able to see beyond the violet and red, we would see the ultraviolet or the infrared, and therefore, you know, when somebody moves in the room, you will see a halo around them, because that will be the infrared uh, radiation. It is there, it is heat, it is there, but your eyes just need a little bit of frequency shift, and then you would see a halo. The person would not look like we are looking at each other now, but there will be a warm thing around it, a halo around us. And so they said, okay, these are things, but can we look at the reality from a very profound perspective? So let's look what is matter made of. Matter is made out of molecules, molecules are made out of atoms, atoms are made out of elementary particles, elementary particles are made out of energy fields, energy fields are unified into an ultimate unified field of natural law. So what is everything made of? Some energy field, some energy field. If your system had the ability to detect energy, it would see everything as energy fields. There will be fluctuations, <laughs> but there will be a sci-fi movie, you know, where everything is like movement of energy fields, like that. And ultimately, if you were able to see the origin of these fields, you would come to a unified field where you see absolute pure existence, flat, pure energy potential. Max Planck, who was the greatest physicist studying, you know, all this quantum mechanics and all of that, he has said, after spending all my life studying the physical reality, I can tell you one thing, there is nothing physical. <laughs> it's all something else. So, I didn't forget my question to you. What is real? What is something we are sure of? When science comes and tells us, you are seeing things from your own perspective. And besides, if you want to go deeper into science, you find that these fields and these particles and electrons and molecules and whatever, even on the fine elementary level, they actually never commit themselves to be what they are until you observe them. This is a complicated concept. There's no need to you know, try to detail it. You have to take my word for it. <laughs> but they've done repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly these studies, and it's mind-blowing. When you go to the electron and you leave the electron by itself, there is no electron sitting anywhere. There is a potential for the electron to be here or here or in Mars. The same one electron or in another galaxy, literally. When you put your attention on the electron, it gathers itself quickly and it appears right there as if it you know, has to be here. And it could appear here or here. It has a probability of appearing on the right or on the left, on top or on bottom. And depending on the circumstances, this probability is more or less defined. But no particle exists without an observer to observe it. It doesn't exist. It's the observer that makes the particle collapse into a specific position in time and in space. This is called the Copenhagen interpretation, and it was a big discussion between 
the quantum mechanics people and the general relativity people, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> but it's a big thing because Einstein could not believe that you needed an observer for things to be like that. So he was telling Bohr, what do you think? You think that when you are not looking at the moon, it is not there? Could it be possible? This would be amazing. This would be like God was a crazy kind of creator. <laughs> and what Bohr was telling Einstein is, Albert, don't tell God what to do, <laughs> what he should do or should not do. This example is just to illustrate that reality is made out of an observer and an object of observation connected in one way or the other. Reality is different for different observers. We create our reality. We create our universe. We make it happen. And so it's all our creation. And what is therefore real, what is ultimately the reality, our proposition is consciousness is the ultimate reality. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.